go to the Lord in prayer before we get into this afternoon's message. Father, we thank you for your word, your eternal word, for you are an eternal God who has spoken to us, revealed yourself through your different messengers, prophets, apostles, have your word preserved for us over generations, and it is this eternal word that will endure forever, that is settled in heaven. And we have the privilege of knowing you through it as we study it, as we are instructed by it, as we live according to it. It brings great blessing and reward. We know that apart from your spirit, this will not be possible. And even the gift of your spirit was promised and given to us. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you that your spirit dwells within us and is working in a powerful way to illumine our minds to understand these truths. That it's producing in us uh, greater and greater holiness. That is producing in us desires that seek after your will and not our own. And it ultimately leads to actions that would be pleasing and honoring to you. So we thank you for the power of your word, the power of your spirit that is at work. And so we do ask that you would continue to sanctify us by your truth now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. I've titled this message, Thankful for the Gospel. Thankful for the Gospel. Around a couple weeks ago, uh, my family put up a sign in our home on a dry erase whiteboard uh, with the words, I am thankful to the Lord for dot, dot, dot. And as people would come over, we would ask them to write down what they are thankful for. And that was the idea, um, especially in this season of thinking about Thanksgiving. Uh, so I told Lucy and Charlotte to go and put their answers on the board first, uh, not prompting them in any way on what to say. Just whatever came to mind would be written on the board in their little writing. And their answers were, the Lord. So I am thankful to the Lord for the Lord. And the other answer was, I am thankful to the Lord for the best church family. And so as we think about those responses or their answers, it's simply just being thankful for the Lord, who he is. Not necessarily what he's done, but simply for who our God is in, in his wholeness, in his completeness, in his holiness, in his glorious being. And the other answer just is a great reminder for us that the church is a family, the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're united to Christ and united to one another, members one of another. And that her thought came to being thankful to the Lord for the church. And when she says church family, she's obviously thinking about Grace Church family. Uh, so when we think about church, are we thankful for the church? Are we just quick to uh, criticize and find fault with the church, or are we quick to commend and lift up and encourage the church and be thankful for the church? 
Um, and so when we come to this message of thinking about thankfulness, um, let us think about that. What are people generally thankful for? People are thankful when they receive something they don't deserve or didn't do anything to earn. For example, if someone just gives you a gift, you're obviously thankful for that gift, and that's really an expression of uh, a display of grace, right? You're receiving something you don't deserve or you didn't do anything to earn. So we're thankful for grace. Uh, Another thing that people are generally thankful for, though they might not put in these two categories, is mercy. Is mercy. Uh, A couple months ago, uh, our family was driving somewhere, and we got we looked in the rearview mirror. The cops are behind with their lights on. It's like, oh, man, that's us. <laughs> so we pull over to the side, and the cop walks up. I lower my window. It's like, hey, what, what happened? Uh, and he said, oh, you, so there's a school bus, and the, the little stop sign kind of popped out. So you're supposed to stop behind it, and I stopped. And then as it was closing, I kind of went a little too fast before it all the way closed. Uh, and so he said, oh, I stopped you because you didn't wait for the stop sign to completely uh, go against the, the bus. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just anticipating there was no other cars. Uh, all the kids already moved to the side, and so I just thought I would just go. Uh, I didn't know there was how long I was supposed to wait afterwards. Uh, so he uh, proceeded to go back to his car, write his ticket, but I was watching him. Uh, and he took a few steps, then he stopped, then he came back to the, the car and said, hey, I'm just going to give you a warning this time. No fine, no penalty, um, nothing that you have to do. And I'm obviously thankful. That's, that's mercy shown. I violated the law in some way, and I deserve to have a ticket and to pay for that ticket, but mercy was shown. So people are generally thankful for grace, getting something they don't deserve, and then also receiving mercy when they do uh, rightly deserve something, but it's withheld or it's taken away, it's, it's pardoned. Um, so grace and mercy. And in Christ, those of us who are in Christ and know Jesus Christ, we have received both grace and mercy abundantly and eternally. Uh, and a heart of thankfulness flows from knowing who God is and who, what God has done in displaying his grace and mercy to us. Uh, gr- God's grace and mercy, which are really expressions of God's love towards us, a love that is not only revealed and communicated to us in his word, but also has been manifested and displayed in his incarnate word, his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, So again, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Are you thankful for material, temporary things? Or are you thankful for eternal things, lasting things, spiritual things? Are you thankful for the gospel? Are you thankful for who Christ is and for who you are in him? Are you thankful for the church? Not just the church universal, but are you thankful for Grace Church? The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a specific church, and he gives God thanks for this specific church. This church at Colossae, um, due to this threat of false teaching that was infiltrating the church and surrounding the church, And so in order to combat that false teaching, he writes to them to remind them, encourage them to look to Christ, who is supreme over all and sufficient for all, that Christ is enough and in him that they have everything that they need. They don't need extra Gnostic teachings and special revelation. They have the word of God. They have Christ. And in Christ, they have everything that they need. And so Colossians is really about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And he opens this letter 
as he typically does, with an introduction followed immediately by prayers of thanksgiving for the church. And he always begins by talking with God for them, on behalf of them, before he talks to them about the things of God, whether in correction, in commendation, in instruction. He always begins with prayer for them. And that just sets your heart and mind in the right place. Prayer comes before proclamation. Prayer comes before preaching. It is prayer, as we learn in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, prayer and the ministry of the word. You cannot neglect one or the other, but prayer comes first. And Paul introduces himself in verse 1 as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In other words, he has been given authority as an apostle by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And this is not according to his will, but by the will of God. Paul was an apostle because this was God's choice, God's intention for him. And here to write to this church to deliver a message from God himself as divine revelation. It also says that Timothy was with him at that time. He was a brother in Christ ministering alongside Paul, and he's there with him. And Paul is writing from Rome, where he's in prison for the gospel. He heard about what was going on at the church in Colossae through a fellow bondservant and a faithful servant of Christ from Epaphras, as we see, we'll see in verse 8. And Paul had never visited this church personally prior to this letter being written, but he did play a key part in the church being planted there. During his three-year ministry in Ephesus, which we'll get to in Acts chapter 19, uh, Epaphras gets saved through the ministry of Paul. And Epaphras, his hometown is in Colossae, so he travels back to Colossae, and the church is planted there by him. And verse 2 informs us that Paul wrote this letter to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, believers. These believers who are at the church in Colossae, and he says to them, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, this greeting amongst Christians because of their fellowship with God that they share with one another, which is common as well with Paul's letters. Grace and peace to you from God. So in these verses, Paul gives a prayer of thanksgiving in remembrance of what this church is because of Christ so that we would know the power of the gospel in our lives. At the heart of this prayer is a thankfulness to God for this church because of the power of the gospel. And we should not just be thankful for the saving power of the gospel, but also for the sanctifying power of the Spirit as we live in light of the gospel. Paul wants this church to know, to recognize, to remember who they are in Christ because of the gospel. And when they do that, they will be able to stand up against any of the attacks that are coming at them and be able to combat the false teaching that is surrounding them. What happens when that what we need to do in those circumstances is not necessarily know all those false teachings. We just need to focus our minds on the truth of Christ and who he is. So what happens as a result of the power of the gospel in our lives? We will look at two realities that should define and describe the church. Two realities that should define and describe the church. First, transform living. And secondly, the growth and spread of the gospel. In other words, discipleship and evangelism. First, we'll see transform living, verses 3 through 5a. Paul writes, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So what does Paul give thanks for? 
Before we answer that question, we have to answer another question. Who is Paul giving thanks to? Who is Paul giving thanks to? To God, who has made them alive in Christ, who has made them saints in Christ by his grace, who is transforming them by his grace. It's all work of God, and so God, God receives the thanks from Paul. Colossians 3, verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Ephesians 5, verse 20 says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. In everything. That means everything, all circumstances. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. What this tells us is that there is no occasion in our lives where thanksgiving to God should be absent, should be missing from our lives. In all circumstances, we are to be marked by thankfulness. If you just sit there and think about all the things happening in your life now, are you able to give God thanks? Christians are God-thankers. We should constantly be giving thanks to God for the work that he's doing in our life and in the lives of others around us. Paul knew that there wouldn't be any saints if it wasn't for the work of the gospel and for God's saving grace. He understood that there wouldn't even be a church in the city of Colossae if it wasn't for God and his grace. So he gives thanks to God because of what God has done through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And for us, there wouldn't be a grace church if it wasn't for the work of the gospel and God's saving grace. There wouldn't be a grace church if it wasn't for God. And so we give thanks to God for this church. So let's quickly look through the passage, point out, what Paul gives thanks to God for in his constant prayers for them for this church. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He thanks God for their faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 again, for love for all the saints. Verse 5, for the hope laid up for them in heaven. Verse 5 again, the word of truth, the gospel. Verse 6, that it is bearing fruit and increasing. Verse 6, the grace of God. Verse 7, teachers who imparted that truth to us and helped us to understand the grace of God and the truth of the word of God. So we see Paul thanks God for faith, love, hope, the word of truth, the gospel, that it's bearing fruit and increasing sanctification for the grace of God and for teachers. This is where Paul's mind goes when he gives thanks to God. 
And we see in verse 4 and 5 that Paul is thankful for their faith, love, and hope. This triple crown of the Christian life. These gifts from God that are now evidenced in and through their lives. It says, since we heard of your faith. From who? From Epaphras, verse 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras goes to Rome where Paul is imprisoned to report to him what's happening there, to get counsel, but also to encourage Paul to say, hey, this church, through your ministry that I was saved through, there's now a church in Colossae, and these these saints are living according to um, the, the Spirit's work in their life. Their faith is being heard and displayed. They have love for all the saints. Their hope is laid up in heaven, and they're living as if that was true. They're bearing fruit and increasing. So it's to encourage Paul as he's in prison to hear of this church, but also to get Paul's counsel on what to do in, in light of these false teachers that were coming there. But it says faith in Christ Jesus. Faith is believing. Believing in the object of faith, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Faith is leaning wholly on Christ in trust and in obedience, in devotion and in dependence, in commitment and communion, in submission and sacrifice. This is believing that results in transformed living. Believing that results in transformed living. A faith that works. We learned that from James. James 2.17. Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And James 2.26. Faith without works is dead. Faith in Christ Jesus is evidenced. It's seen. It's manifested. It's displayed in how one lives. It's visible and it's also verifiable. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We no longer live for ourselves And we no longer look to ourselves. Christ is our life. And we look to him and set our minds on him. And we live for him. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. To believe in him. To follow him. To be his disciple. That's what it means to be a Christian. We no longer live for ourselves. But the one who bought us with his precious blood. Christ is our life. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our everything. And in him, you have everything that you need. Christ is enough. And so if you believe, you do. You do not to be saved or to stay saved, but because you are saved. Obedience flows out of being saved. If you believe, for example, that speeding on the freeway or highway, I think you guys call it here, is a bad idea, what will you do? You'll drive slower, right? If you believe that, another example, that the green tea house has the best tea in Connecticut, 
and in the United States and the best customer service, you will go there for tea. And likewise, if you believe in Christ, you will live for Christ. If you believe the gospel, you will proclaim the gospel. If you believe, you do. And this was evident in that church. Their faith in Christ Jesus was evident. And Paul thanks God for their faith in Christ Jesus that is transforming their lives. Are you thankful for the gift of faith? Do you even think about that? Faith is a gift from God. We should be thankful to God for faith. And Paul thanks God for, as well, their love, which they have for all the saints. He thanks God because this is a love that is first from God, the source, who is love. God's love for them flows out of their lives into their love for others. Love God and love others. They cannot be separated and one flows from the other. This vertical aspect and this horizontal aspect. This is evidence of faith. An authenticity of faith. A living and an active faith. Joel Beakey has said, quote, Gospel truth has not reached its goal until it produces love. Love has no living roots without gospel truth. Close quote. And so we see the power of the gospel in their lives is evidenced by their love for all the saints, their love for one another. This is a love that extends especially and particularly to all believers. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In Galatians 6, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes there, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So this vertical and horizontal aspect of love is displayed. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that's the vertical aspect. And now the love which you have for all the saints, the horizontal outliving of that. Therefore, where you see faith in Christ, you must also see a love for all the saints. Where you see faith in Christ, you must also see a love for all the saints. Love is serving God and serving others, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Colossians 1 verse 8 says, The Colossians' love was in the Spirit. There's a connection between the Holy Spirit and love. In other words, love is the outworking of the power of the Spirit in our lives, which was a gift from God. And this love was for all the saints. Without the Holy Spirit, genuine love for all the saints wouldn't even be possible. But because of the Holy Spirit, we are able and can love those even that we disagree with, those who may have different preferences than us, those who are not like us, those who are of different backgrounds and ethnicities, because of the work of the gospel that is powerful in our lives, allowing us to love and be united to all the saints. 
Colossians 3 verse 11 says, there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. And Colossians 2, 2, Paul says that their hearts are knit together in love. So the solution to a lack of love for others or an unwillingness to forgive one another is to look to Christ's love and to look to Christ's forgiveness. Because it is this kind of love that we are to have for all the saints and is this kind of love that we are to thank God for because it comes from him. Faith, love, hope, all from God that we can thank God for. Verse 5, how and why are these believers? How and why is this church living transformed lives with faith in Christ and displaying and demonstrating this love for all the saints? Verse 5 says, because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. Because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. This is a certain hope, a guaranteed hope, a hope that is reserved for them in heaven. This is a hope of the reality of future glory. And that is the reason that they can presently be faithful. And the reason that we can be presently faithful as well. This is a living hope. This hope moves this church to be what Christ has called it to be. First Peter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If heaven is your future home, and according to scripture, there is an unimaginable, glorious inheritance waiting for you, live today like that's true. Live like you have this certain living hope. Are you thankful for the hope laid up for you in heaven? The best is yet to come. Do you believe that? The best is yet to come. We can experience joy now because of Christ, but there is greater joy to come. How tightly are we holding on to the things of this world? How fearful are we of even physical death? Do we not realize that physical death for the Christian is the end of all sorrow and pain and sin? It only gets better. We must have this kind of perspective where we are thankful to God for the hope that is reserved for us in heaven, this sure, certain, guaranteed hope. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. In Romans eight eighteen, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I would hate to imagine a life without knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. 
I would hate to imagine life in this world without the power of his grace and the perspective of eternity. I would hate to imagine a life of suffering in this present time with no hope of glory. I would hate to imagine a life of not knowing the one who holds the future. But when you know God and the grace of God and the love of God and the hope you have in him, your heart should be filled with thankfulness to God. And your life should reflect that. So the first reality that defined and described this church was transformed living. And Paul thanks God for that. And we have to remember that at the heart of this prayer is a thankfulness to God for this church because of the power of the gospel. Notice the second half of verse 5. Hope of hope because the word of truth, the gospel. And that leads us to the second reality that should define and describe the church. The second reality that should define and describe the church, verse 5b through verse 8, the growth and spread of the gospel. Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. It is the gospel that has changed our lives, and it is the gospel that they are now to proclaim and make known. How can we, how can we be confident of this hope described in the first half of verse 5? Because this hope is from the word of truth. This hope is from the word of truth, the objective, eternal, absolute truth of God's word. God cannot lie, God cannot change, and his promises are sure and faithful. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Are we thankful for the truth? Are we thankful for the truth? Are we thankful to know the truth because of the power of the Spirit working in our lives to give us understanding? Are we thankful for the truth? So many people get mad at God because of the truth that he proclaims. Aren't you glad that God is honest? That God is truthful with us? That he has revealed himself to us in his word? so that we can know him and know truth and know our condition before him. That he has revealed the gospel to us in his word, made known his son, made known his whole plan and purpose for all of history, where it begins, where it ends. We can be thankful that God not only knows that we fall short of his perfect glory, that we are all sinners, but he also knows that we need a savior and we can be thankful for that. And he has promised and provided a savior in Jesus Christ and we can be thankful for that. The gospel is the good news about the person and accomplished work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news about the person and accomplished work of Jesus Christ. So who is the person of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? He's truly and fully God and truly and fully man. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, meaning the supreme one who is prior to and over all creation. 
He's conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He is the Son of God. The long-awaited and promised Messiah who would come and save his people from their sins and crush the head of the serpent. And as sinners who have broken God's law and who are dead in trespasses and sins with no hope of saving ourselves, Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In Acts 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, in other words, is the only Savior in the world who can save you from your sins and the righteous wrath of God that you deserve for your sins against him. He is John fourteen six, the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. First Timothy 2, 5, for there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What is the accomplished work of Jesus Christ? He lived in perfect obedience to the law of God. He willingly laid down his life upon the cross as an atoning substitute. He satisfied fully the wrath of God. He rose from the grave on the third day in victory and triumph over sin and death. He secured forgiveness of sins. He guarantees eternal life for all who would repent and believe in him. For believers, through his life, his perfect righteousness is imputed to us, credited to us. Through his death, our sins are atoned for. Through his resurrection, we have eternal hope. We have been redeemed and reconciled to God through his son. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The gospel is the good news of how we are saved from God's wrath, condemning us to an eternity in hell through repentance and faith in the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord and Savior. This is the message of truth that they heard, that they have heard and that they are living in light of, and the message that they are proclaiming. Verse 6 says, which has come to you, the gospel has come to them, Christ has come to them, They weren't seeking a way to be saved. God revealed their need to be saved and sent his own son. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So verse 6, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. The grace of God in truth. They understood that this was all a gift of God. As people are saved all over the world, the power of the gospel continues to have an impact to do its work within the local church and beyond the local church. It is bearing fruit and increasing in their lives. They are being sanctified by the word of truth. They are being equipped by the word of truth. They are growing by the word of truth. And they are proclaiming and spreading the word of truth. This is what defined and described this church and what Paul gives thanks to God for. And it was through the ministry of Epaphras that they learned of the word of truth and the grace of God. 
this highlights the movement of the word through means, through the people of God. How will people hear truth? As we speak the truth, as we proclaim the truth, as we declare the truth. Remember Epaphras, he heard the truth and Paul went straight back to his hometown in Colossae and starts spreading the word of truth about Christ and a church is planted there. And he is described as a fellow, a beloved bondservant, fellow bondservant who's a faithful servant of Christ. And that is who we are in Christ. We are slaves of Christ who are to be faithful servants of Christ. And as the word of truth through the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the gospel continues to get passed on and handed off. Are we thankful for those who have been examples for us? Those who have discipled us and mentored us? Those who have taught us the truth? I can remember just in my own life, a few men, Eric Kakimoto, Dan Wong, Eric Chabonet, Danny Bay, Earl Pio, John Cito, Rick Zaman, professors in seminary who passed on their knowledge of God's word to me as examples in life, in character, and also in instruction and doctrine. And all that was poured into me is being poured out to others in some way. And what I have understood from the word of truth by the grace of God and continuing to grow in, I too am to pass that along so that the word of truth through believers all around the world is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. And that applies to all of us, not just me because I'm an elder and I teach, but to all of us as we are imparted and given truth, understood by the power of the Spirit working in our lives, we are to pass along and hand off that truth to those around us. And in verse 8, Paul adds that Epaphras also informed him of their love in the Spirit. This is the second mention of love by Paul. Because gospel truth produces love. And from love flows transformed living and the growth and spread of the gospel. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul is not thanking God and encouraging them and commending them for being a perfect church. But he is thanking thanking God and encouraging them and commending them for being a church characterized by love in the Spirit. By being a church characterized by love in the Spirit. Paul wants this church to know, recognize, remember who they are in Christ because of the gospel. He wants them to know that Christ is supreme and sufficient in light of the false teaching that was starting to infiltrate the church. And he reminds them that the gospel is the word of truth and that they are to continue to live in light of the gospel for Christ. As Christians, there's no mistaken identity for people in the body of Christ. The great thing about our relationship with Jesus, our walk with him, is that we don't have to go out looking for and searching to find out who we are or what we're living for. In Christ, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We know who we are. We know who we live for. Philippians 1.27 says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
So in order to live rightly before God, we need to remember who he is, who we are in Christ. Paul gives thanks to God for who they are in Christ and what they do have in Christ. What they do have in Christ. Paul's thanksgiving was not based upon something that God has not called them to be or to do or to focus on. And that can easily distract the people of God and the church of God from doing what it has been called to do. Focusing on numbers, focusing on building projects, focusing on programs. And that's where most people find where their thankfulness lies, in these other things. Does your thankfulness and gratefulness depend upon those things or on the things that God cares about? Faith, love, hope, sanctification, the spread of the gospel, the church. Fidelity to the truth, love being displayed in the spirit amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we thankful for those things or for the things that we see are missing or lacking? Paul's praise and thanksgiving for this church is not wrapped up in them, but it's centered upon who God is and what God has made them and how God is working in them. Are we thankful to God for how God is working in the saints here at Grace Church? That's the measure of faithfulness to Christ. God has made them alive together with Christ. By grace, they have been saved. They have been brought forth by the word of truth. They are now a first fruit of God's new creation. And in that, this church displays faith, love, hope, proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ, and displays and demonstrates a love in the spirit that is unlike any other love in this world. Paul has much to praise and thank God for. And it doesn't have anything to do with what they don't have, but everything to do with what they do have in Christ. They know who they are. They know who they live for. They know what they have in him because of the gospel. Are you thankful for the gospel? Are we thankful for all the many gifts that God abundantly showers upon us in his goodness and grace? It's all a gift. Even the trials are a gift. So are we thankful for the gospel that has saved us and the gospel that, as we're living in light of the gospel truth, is sanctifying us? Are we thankful for the gift of faith? Are we thankful for the love of God that has been poured out into our hearts by the Spirit? Are we thankful for the hope that we have laid up, reserved for us in heaven? Are we thankful for the word of truth, the gospel? Are we thankful that the word of truth, the gospel, is, being, is bearing fruit and increasing, not just in our own lives, but all around the world? Are we thankful for those who have taught us about the grace of God and the word of truth? Are we thankful for the work of God that he's doing in and amongst the people of God and the body of Christ? And here Paul thanks God for all of those things, specifically as it relates to this specific local church body the church in Colossae, and he thanks God for all these things to remind them of who they are in Christ and that they have everything in him and have all reason to give thanks to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word in reminding us just how great you are and how greatly to be praised, that we are to declare your wondrous works from one generation to the next particularly the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, and his accomplished work upon the cross. Help us to be faithful servants. Help us to be faithful slaves who 
understand who we are in you, that nothing in this world would shake us from that confidence that we have in him, that no trial or difficulty would be too much for us to bear as we have not only the greatest comforter in the spirit with us at all times, we have your comforting word, we have the comfort of your people, and we have the comfort of knowing the hope that we have that is laid up for us in heaven, to know that there is greater joy to come and that the best is yet to come. Father, we thank you for all of these things. For by your grace, we know all these things have been given to us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.